and uh, a series called Jesus Personified. And Hebrews 4, we've just been looking at this, these three verses in the Amplified Bible. Um, for Bible readers, this is a very, very um, well-known passage. You probably know it. You may, as I, as I say it, it may sound a little different than Amplified, but it's one that you know. Hebrews 4, verse 14 says, In as much then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously. That right, grab a hold of it. Don't let it go, right? That part right there, that's, that's a good phrase for you to grab when it comes to your faith. Cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable, who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. That's Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, right? Verse 16, therefore let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. Now, I love this passage of Scripture, and I, I love that last verse where it says this, and maybe, you, maybe some of your Bibles will say it to something to this effect. Let us approach the throne of grace then with boldness. I like that. I, I like this, this two words that the Amplified adds there when it says this. It says, therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. Let us with privilege. You realize that you have privilege this morning. No matter who you are, you're privileged this morning with this privilege that Jesus came and lived and died. And, and that's a fact. You know, I mean, if, if, you, if you have the argument, well, I don't know if there was there, there's any proof for a historical Jesus, you're wrong. And that ship already sailed like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. They've already, or it's documented. I mean, the Romans kept great records. Romans were record keepers. They documented trials and all the things they did. And by the way, the Jews also, uh, the Sanhedrin would investigate miracles when they happened, all documented. There's so much, right, to, to prove the existence of a historical Jesus. But beyond that, we believe that he is, he is divine, right? He's God incarnate. He's God with us. When the scholars were trying to figure out, how, what do we call him? How do we, how do we describe this, this conundrum we're facing where we know he's God, yet we also know he's man? What do we do? And they came up with the term theanthropos, which means the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. That's Jesus. Now, the cool thing for you and I is he was 100% human, that he walked on this planet, that he experienced what we experience. When we go to God in Jesus' name, we go to him with this with this understanding that he's been where we've been. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a business. Maybe it's a restaurant. Maybe it's a, a shop somewhere, and you know the owner, or you know someone that works there. And you go in, and you'll mention that to somebody if you don't see him, right? Hey, is, is Frank here? Is Fred here? Or Sue? Because you want them to know you're there. And you kind of feel like you're a little privileged. Anybody with me? Right? You're like, well, I know the people. 
And if it was a nice restaurant and they're a chef and you knew them and they're like, oh, they're out there, send them out this. Like, just then there's like, send something out to you, like compliments of the house because they know you. And like, you know, you're kind of like, that's me. He knows me. And he, he knows me because he's been where I've been, right? I've, no, I've known him beyond that space and that place. Maybe you, maybe you went to a, to a show somewhere and, and uh, you, you knew the person. I remember one time they invited me to go see little orphan Annie or Annie or whatever it is at Marat. And, and I went and the, the, she'd, she'd been here and sang. She was Annie singing in it. And, and we knew her. So it's kind of like, oh, we get a little extra privilege here because we know. Sometimes I'll go preach someplace outside of someplace else in the country and, and uh, they'll send me something beforehand. You're going to think it's just funny. It's their, it's their attempt at showing honor. They'll send me a questionnaire, and they'll ask me, what kind of mints do I want? Do I want water? What do I want? And they'll have a little green, green room prepared where I'll go before I go out to speak. And they'll have all this list of stuff. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of big requests. I mean, I like, I like room temperature water, not cold water, because it causes your, your throat to shrink a little bit when you drink it cold, right? And so, so I like room temperature water and, and not a whole lot. But, but I'll be in there, and if I've been there before and people know me, somebody, I don't know how they do it, because I tell these, some of these places, they got it's like security to get back to that room, you know, and somebody will pop their head in, and they'll see me, and they'll come in, like, and they'll hug me, and they're all glad to see me because they know me, and I know them out of that context in a place where we've been together. Guess what? There's somebody that you know that gives you a privilege to go before the throne of God boldly. You have privilege because he's been where you've been. He's, he's, he's been in the place in the struggle. Your hurt, your pain, he has been there. He knows what it is. As we talked about two Sundays ago, he knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to deal with anger. And by the way, and I love what it says here in, in Hebrews, and not sin. He knows what it is to be there. And for that reason, there's a privilege that you have because one like you is there. One that's been where you've been is there. And on your darkest day when it feels like nobody else knows what you're going through and nobody else can understand and you can't seem to get over the hurdle and the threshold seems too high and it's so much pain, just know Jesus has already been there. He knows what it means to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be falsely accused. He knows what it is to be wounded, to be laughed at, to be mocked. He's been there. And that should help us to know we've got great privilege because there's somebody that gives us an opportunity to go before the throne. So this morning, I want to talk for a few moments about Jesus, right? We've been looking at this from, from the human angle, what Jesus experienced, and compassion. Compassion. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write that word right there down, compassion. And maybe we'll look at it a little differently than what you have in the past. Or maybe it'll confirm something for you. Verse 35 of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew, St. Matthew's Gospel, says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now let me stop there for just a moment. It's important that you understand this is a summarization of Jesus and what he's been doing. Uh, there's been, been two chapters, beginning with the, uh, chapter 8, all through 9, this is the, the ending of chapter 9, um, he has been doing exactly what it says here. Ten miracles, Jesus is, 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 in fact, you see this many times, that when Jesus has compassion, then a miracle comes, right? The supernatural many times is preceded by compassion. And, and here Jesus is, he's going 
to this place and that place, and he sees the, the plight of people, the things they're suffering, and he's moved with compassion. And, and I would say that it's important for us to understand this, that Jesus that existed there in the text we're reading, Jesus that, that existed on this planet 2,000 years ago, he's the same Jesus, right? We know that, don't we? That he's not some different Jesus now when you go to him that can't do what you need. He still is the same Jesus. The same Jesus that was moved with compassion there is moved with compassion today. And guess what? The word says this, that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That, that your tomorrow, he's not changing. He's going to be the same as he was 2,000 years ago on this planet. He's going to be the same Jesus that he was 2,000 years ago as he is today. That you can take some confidence in knowing and understanding that he's not changing. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that he is the unchanging God? That goes on to say this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few, the workers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into his harvest. Just a few short verses, and we'll, we'll spend a few minutes this morning uh, just peeling back the layers of compassion that are presented here. I think that it's important to understand that any of us can have, have th those feelings of uh, sometimes sympathy, right? Sometimes we feel sorry about a situation. Anybody ever see the, the video where the deer is in the frozen lake? And they got, they got like 45 people there on the edge, and they got fire trucks and big long cable, and the guy's on the end of the cable, and he's out in the water. You can see the wind blowing, and it's freezing temperatures, and the deer's been treading water for however long, and somebody saw its antlers, and he gets a hold of it, and it's, it's barely fighting because it's almost lost all of its strength, and finally he gets it up out on the ice, and then they try to pull it, and they're pulling it with a winch across the ice, getting it back. Have you ever see this? I'm the only one. You guys are missing out. And they, they pull that baby all the way to the bank, and they get him there and trying to dry him off. It's suffering from just fatigue and probably hypothermia is setting in, and, and they're caring for this animal, and they get it all there and, and try and eventually up on its feet, and it runs off. And you're like, yes, because we're feeling sorry. We're feeling sympathy for that deer. It's like that, like that crazy turtle with a straw in its nose, and now everybody wants to have paper straws and not plastic straws, so we'll hurt the turtle. Anybody see that one? Okay, some of you saw that one. Or the dog, it's shivering and shaking. They're playing, the, you know, in the arms of the angel. Because <laughs> human beings can have sympathy. In fact, sometimes people that seem so vile can have sympathy for somebody. You think, wow, it surprises you, right? Somebody that's so far into darkness and just wretchedness and they have sympathy. I think when I see that deer, it moves us, but then there's like 10 miles down the road, there's some guy in a tree stand with a shotgun killing another deer, right? So, so we, get, we get moved with sympathy sometimes. We feel sorry. Sometimes, sometimes somebody's felt sorry for you or you felt sorry for sympathy. And then empathy is another level where we, we try to get in their shoes and, and look at from their point of, point of view. And so we're, we're like, we're, we're moved a little more than just feeling sorry for somebody. We're like, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And like we, maybe right there we pray or we, right? But, but compassion, in fact, the, the phrase here, move with compassion, is a little, little more than those things, not just the feelings. 
In fact, that phrase, in the Greek, it's one word. It's splagnizomai, and, and it, it, it refers to, in fact, the root word that that Greek word comes from is talking about your insides, like your internal organs, that they are hurting. Splagnizomai, moved with compassion, means that, that, that the, the pain of someone else has moved you so much inside that you feel their pain inside. That it's, that it's affecting you. Paul will speak of it in his letters sometimes as bowels of mercy or bowels of compassion. That, that, that it's, it's moved you in such a way that, that you hurt inside for that person. And you hurt so much inside that you're moved to do something about it. That you can't just look the other way and discard them as though, well, I feel sorry for you or I'll say a little prayer for you. But now you've got to do something about it. And for Jesus, um, five times in the Gospel of Matthew, four in the Gospel of Mark, and three in the Gospel of Luke, in the Synoptic Gospels, this word is always translated this way. And he's moved with compassion when he sees people that are hurting, when he sees people that, that need healing. He's moved with compassion when he sees it. And I think that you could easily make this, um, see the, the metaphor of, of the heart being impacted, hurt, our heart hurting Right, this one, one writer described it as painful sympathy. Noah Webster in his dictionary 200 years ago, over 200 years ago, he said it like this, that his best description of compassion was from Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, verse 20. When it, when it, says, when it says this, that the father saw him and was moved with compassion to go to him and, and, and run to him and to embrace him and to do the things he would do, that that's the moving of compassion, that, that something moves you to, to do, right, not just to feel a thing. And, and as I was preparing this week, I started wrestling with this human aspect of how we have compassion for one another. And then, you know, the light bulb went off. And maybe I knew this. Maybe I was trying to just seek out this for a message, and it sounded right, but no. Is, is it human to have compassion or is it divine? I, I would submit to you that compassion isn't really a human characteristic. That Jesus, when walking on this earth as a man, he was very divine in having, being moved with compassion. Sympathy, that's human. Empathy, that's human. But to be moved with compassion, splagnizomai, that is very divine. You see it when you see God say that I have compassion on humanity and I'll give my only son so that they can know me. I see humanity moving so at, at a rapid pace toward the darkness and, and an eternity without me and I'll send my son so that they can know me. I would just say to you today that compassion in your life is a reflection of the image of God on your life that we were created in his image, that we are being conformed to the image of his son, according to Romans 8, 29, so that we will exude compassion. It says this in verse 36, that when he saw the multitudes, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion, moved with compassion. And why is it that he was moved with compassion? Because he saw the people as sheep not having a shepherd. He saw the people, the multitudes, the crowds, the size of the people, and he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. And, and certainly in our world, 
Well, that still is the case, isn't it? Isn't there a whole lot of people in this earth, on this planet, in our country, in our neighborhood, that are moving through life, and they're like sheep with no shepherd? And we see it in so many ways. We see it in so many ways. We, we see it just in the, in the idea that, that people are being misled. In, in this context, he's definitely speaking uh, you could, you could, you could, we could preach on this for a while to the Pharisees and their wrong leadership. Uh, I would say that in today's world, where is the wrong leadership? And it's the people that are being blindly led by all the outlets. It's media. It's Hollywood. It's their own selfish ideas. It's, it's, it's a mind that is that is um, uh, degraded by the cultural norms that we see in our society, things that weren't normal but now are normal. When people don't know right from wrong, they can't discern what is the right way to live life and what, what is wrong. I thought about, you know, I, I didn't watch, I don't watch the Grammys, but I thought about the Grammys this past week. I, you couldn't help but see the news on it if you, if you have any kind of connection with the outside world. Um, just the uh, horrible deception that occurs. And you realize the enemy is a deceiver. We realize that, don't we, that he's the father of lies. You realize that when Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he's talking about the enemy of your soul. But he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus is saying, I've come to give life in John 10, 10. And then he says, if you didn't get who he was in John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I love it in Amos, uh, and, uh, and, and just kind of preaching this first, this point, that compassion sees, Jesus sees, the multitude, he sees where they're at. And Amos 3.12, it gives us this picture of a, of a shepherd. I think it's one of my favorite pictures of a shepherd. And it's, it's the Lord giving what a shepherd looks like. He said, a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear. Professor Tony, what does that mean? It means that the shepherd has stepped in between the sheep and the lion, and the lion's already got one, and he's letting the lion know you're not going to have any more, and the little bit you got right now I'm going to jerk out of your mouth because you're not going to attack my sheep. People don't have that in our world. I'm talking about the good shepherd. Check it out. Lions have a roar. Bears have claws. Eagles have huge wings. There's all kinds of characteristics in the animal kingdom. Skunks can spray you. I mean, they've got all kinds of characteristics to defend themselves. Sheeps don't have, they, sheep don't have claws. They don't have wings. They don't have a roar. They can't spray you like that. They don't have any of that. Sheep have a shepherd. And when we don't have a shepherd, we are sheep that are being driven by whatever leads us or scatters us. And so then on the Grammys, they'll tell you this. Here's the lie they'll tell you, that this is female empowerment. Right? I mean, it's only been 30, 40 years ago that the women's liberation movement said, we're not, we don't want Playboy magazine and these industries making us sex objects, so now we allow, we allow the enemy to do it with our lives. And you know what? It's not people. It's people that are being misled, right? Pray for the people that are involved in that. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And if somebody tells you, well, this is okay to be, this is, this is okay, this is all right. No, it's not. It's like the confusion on how many genders are there. There's two. 
I mean, I don't know. It's, if somebody tells you something different, they're lying to you. They're misleading. There's two. There's two. There's not 15. They're not 17 genders. And, I've, and I, I have compassion for people that get confused with that, right? They need our compassion, not somebody to tell them, okay, we'll just do this. If you've got a loved one or somebody you know that's, that's dealing with this right now, I have compassion for them because I don't want to, I don't want to see them lead their, be misled and to believe a lie and one day wake up and realize because uh, every, every report that I've watched on any surgeries that have changed genders on people, it is always that someday they regret what they've done. But this is our world, sheep being led, misled, dis- deceived, not having a shepherd. Jesus sees that when he looks at these people and he says, you know what, they're like sheep not having a shepherd. They're in trouble and they don't know it. And his heart, he's moved inside, hurting inside for them. I was talking uh, this past week to Joseph. He just moved here from California. And uh, he, uh, he was telling about his story, being in Syria at 15 years old and looking at the people he said, I just, I just began to cry. He's about 26, I think, 27 now. He said, I just, been, I said, I just was crying because he said, I saw those people and they didn't know Jesus. He said, and then it started making me look at my own life and know that, you know what, I need a better relationship, a closer relationship with Jesus. Because that's what happens when you start seeing beyond yourself. When you get your focus on, you know what, there are people that don't have a shepherd they don't have Jesus in their life. It ought to disturb us. It ought to disturb us. We shouldn't be okay to, to meander through life and know that there may be somebody in your life and you've been so preoccupied with what you're doing in life that you've not been able to see the great need that they have. I had a few people come to me after Sunday, after the first service and say, Pastor, man, I love that, I love that. I said, well, I was pretty straight, but you know what? There's no other way to talk about this than being straight about it. I wish I could pat you on the back and say, we're all doing a good job. Well, the American church isn't. It just isn't. Next verse says this, verse 37 said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful. Right, there's plenty of harvest, but the workers are few. And if any, any pastor that I know would tell you they understand that, Right, there's, there's so many people. And you know what happens? It's his harvest. And you know what happens when, when, you allow, when you allow the harvest to stay out and you don't collect it? It starts rotting and deteriorating. I think that's the plight of America. Right? We've not had people that have went into the harvest fields. And so now all we have is this rotting, deteriorating condition on humanity. And we look at it and we're disturbed by it. I'm disturbed by some of the things that happen. This isn't some doom and gloom message. It's the idea that our world is not heading in a good place. And it should disturb us that people don't know Jesus. And when Jesus says this, that the harvest, right, it's plentiful. Truly it's plentiful. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers in the harvest, into his harvest. That brings us to the place that something, right, there needs to be some doing. Something needs to be done, right? You, you, can't, you can't hear that statement and know that there doesn't need to be some action. There needs to be some action. Because compassion does this. It not only sees, but compassion does. Compassion does. Compassion, and I would say this, that, it, that it's hard it's hard because it moves us from the place we are at to a place of, of dealing with somebody's brokenness, with their vulnerability, with their weakness, a place w- dealing with their loneliness, 
with the things that they're suffering from, and we'd rather just kind of stay comfortable. We'd rather be comfortable. I love March Madness. I love college football. or Well, football, I love basketball. College basketball is, is one of the most exciting games to watch because you really got team sport, and you got guys that or ladies that, that are really playing their heart out to win, especially when you get to a tournament like the NCAA uh, uh, tournament that is going on right now. I love that stuff. But it disturbs me that we'll get more upset about our team winning or losing, I'm sorry, that there are millions of people that, that, that if this was a clip with no end that are walking off and nobody's trying to stop them. And we're more upset about a team, what a team has done. We're more upset about a scratch on our new car than we are that somebody is going to hell. While, we, while we're meeting people that don't know God, and, and let me make sure we understand this, because I know pa- pastors, they don't talk about this much anymore for some reason, but there is a literal hell. We know that, don't we? We, we, we know that, that, that when you live this life that you just don't end one day and now it's over. We also know that if there is something after, that everybody just doesn't go to heaven one day. We're not universalists that think, okay, well, you're just a good person and you get to go to hell or you're a bad person, or heaven, I'm sorry, or you're a bad person and you get to go to heaven, right? A just God would not have you walking down the street with Adolf Hitler and say, well, everybody gets to go to heaven, right? That, that, that's a problem with universalism that people would think that everybody gets to go to heaven. No. There's a real hell. You can't read God's word without seeing it vividly displayed. There is. And it should upset us more that people might go there than the stuff that could happen in our life that we're focused on. Compassion sees people with their need, and compassion does something. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10 in the Passion Translation says, And don't allow yourselves to be weary planting seeds, good seeds, for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you planted is coming. Take advantage of, once you get this, take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially our brothers and sisters and family of faith. Take advantage of every opportunity. I heard a story told one time. A young guy told it about his dad who was a farmer, and they had a neighbor came over. It was one spring when it had been raining a lot, and the neighbor had been out with his tractor in the field plowing and doing all the stuff, whatever you do to get ready for, for this, the, the planting season, and he got his tractor stuck, which is probably not an easy thing to do. So he goes over, and he says, he said, hey, Orlo, he said, I uh, got my tractor stuck. Would you mind come help me? He says, oh, I'll come help you. And so Two guys, the neighbors and, their, and his son, went out there, and they're looking at the tractor, and it's just deep in the mud. He tried hard, moving back and forth and doing everything he could to get it out and couldn't get it out. And so the neighbor said, you know what? I'll give it a try pulling you out. He said, but I don't know if we can. He said, if we can't, I'll come and sit in the mud with you. Sometimes, sometimes compassion moves us to say, you know, I don't know if I can do anything about what you're struggling with, but I will sit down with you in the mud of your issue and try to help you work through it. Sometimes compassion is just sitting in the mud with someone. And what we do is most of us measure our degree of compassion and what we will do by what it's going to cost us. We calculate in our mind when, we're, when, we, when we meet a situation how we're going to react. I had a young guy tell me he left here on the first Wednesday. Every, every first Wednesday of the, uh, of the uh, month, we do a service here at 7 o'clock, and it usually goes to 8, 
815, something like that. And uh, he's on his way home and going around 465, got off at the exit where he gets off, him and his wife. And there was a person standing there begging or asking for help, for food, for money, for what. And so he recognized the person. So he, he says, hey, I want to get you something to eat. And he tells him, well, my wife and kids are at home. He wasn't homeless, but in a bad situation. He said, okay. And there's a McDonald's near, though. So he just thought, I'll get something there. And he said, told him, I'll get some McDonald's. He said, well, there's a Fazoli's down there. I'd really, right? And so all of a sudden, this thing got a little bit bigger than what it was. It's going to cost a little more. He's going to have to drive down here to get it. So he goes on down there and gets the stuff, takes it back. The guy said, I thought you were never coming back when you passed me by. Sometimes compassion is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us more than what we thought. I think about Jesus. You know, Jesus, he could have calculated the cost. I'm going to come to earth and live like people. The people that should embrace me and love me are going to reject me. People close to me are going to check out on me. They're going to betray me. They're going to deny me. I'm going to go through all that. But he said this, my words, cost is worth it. Cost is worth it. You see, we can show sympathy. We can even show support. But if we ever really wanted to develop a heart of compassion, it means we have to show sacrifice. We've got to get some skin in the game, and it's got to cost us something. I love the story in, in Luke chapter uh, 10, the story of the, the good Samaritan. The lawyer asked Jesus, you know, who, who, who he, he gets it right, right? How do, how do we interact in life? He tells Jesus, Jesus, oh, that's right, it's good. He said, but who is my neighbor? I'm supposed to love the neighbor as myself, but who's my neighbor? So Jesus begins to tell them a story. He begins to tell them a story. There was a, a person who was wounded, beaten by thieves and robbers, stripped of his clothes, left half dead is the word that he uses in King James. And then it says this, that a priest came by and saw him and moved to the other side. And then a Levite came by, saw him and moved to the other side. But it was a Samaritan, the one that the Jewish people would not want to be the good guy in this picture. By the way, your neighbor might always look like what you think, what you thought your neighbor would look like or sound like or be like. In fact, the person that moves in next to you might be difficult for you to deal with. They may play loud music at night, have wild parties. They may put their fence like a two feet over on your line. I'm just saying that your neighbor may not be the neighbor that was just sent divinely. Let me say, they're sent divinely, but they may not look like they are heaven divine, okay? And so he, he, here's, he, here's this Samaritan. The Samar Samaritan sees the man, gets him, pours in healing oil and wine, checks him into the nearest Holiday Inn, gives him money so they can care for him, says, if it goes any more than this, just know I'll, I'll, I'll make it up to you when I get back, and cares for him. And then Jesus said, so who in this story is a neighbor? And he challenged. The one that was moved with compassion to do something. When, when we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, it's the idea that we allow ourselves to be moved with our compassion to do something. Compassion does. I love this. It's anonymous. It was written. It said, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was in prison, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. 
I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I'm still very hungry, lonely, and cold. It's high time that the church steps into the arena to say, you know what, we're going to do something. Teddy Roosevelt wasn't wrong when he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We spend way too much time trying to wait for the next release of, of uh, the Avenger movie or for the next release of the next worship album by such and such group, or we spend way too much time trying to think, well, what is the deeper truth that I can uncover that nobody's ever heard? I'm just saying this. There's lost people, and they matter to God enough that he would spend his most energy on sending his son for them so that we could have life, and sometimes we move through life knowing there are lost people in our life and paying no attention at all to it. That should disturb us. You see, transformation comes in the doing. There's somebody in your life right now that needs transformation. And it's going to come when you become obedient in the doing, in the doing. Compassion does. He says this. He goes on to say Jesus does. And he says, he said, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into his harvest. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. I started praying 15, 16 years ago. I grew, I grew up in a tradition where they were praying for lost people to come. It was always a prayer, pray for lost people to come. So I, in fact, I've been in meetings where they'd say, we're going to look to the north and pray for them to come from the north and look to the south and call them from the south and east and the west, and it was all big and like, yes. And Jesus said, pray for workers to go into the harvest. Sometimes in our good intentions, we get it wrong. Pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest, it's his harvest, that he would send workers. And over the years, I pray, God, send workers, send workers. And, Lord, make those workers us and send us into the harvest. Compassion prays. Compassion doesn't only pray. I've already told you it sees. Right before you can know how to pray, sometimes you've got to see. Compassion does. Compassion prays. I had a good friend a few years ago, two, three, four years ago, I don't know, pastor friend, he posted on Facebook. I don't pay much attention to Facebook anymore, but he posted on there. And he said, uh, there's nowhere in the Bible, he's kind of, there's a challenging thing, he's kind of controversial, where we should ever pray for lost people. I'm like, okay, just like you heard it, on the surface that sounds so antithetical to who God is, right? Because God cares so much about lost people, give his only son. And he put that on there, and then everybody's now that I get, no, it's not that one. Not that one. And I didn't get involved in the whole thing because it just sounded loony to me. It just sounded like, where, where, where are you going with this? What, what purpose is this? So here's what I know. Prayer, when I pray for lost people, prayer does this. It declares that I'm unable, but he's able. It prays that I can't hardly do anything at all except what he would allow me to do, but he can do everything. I love what, what Paul said in the book of Romans uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Right? That, 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 that I'm, I'm doing the effort of praying. Praying is the work. We were praying yesterday, 9 o'clock here, and we had a big work day, and thanks to all those that helped, and you'll see, hopefully you see some changes. They made it look so much better. Thank you so much. And, and I just said when we were praying, I said, you know, we're going to do some work later, but that's not the work. The work is prayer. 
right? If I want to see life change for somebody, it's praying ahead of that. And I'm going to give you three ways to pray. Pray, you can do this throughout your life. It's a way to start your day. First prayer is this, to ask God to give you a divine appointment. Ask God to give you a divine appointment with somebody. By the way, you may be somebody's divine, you may be somebody's uh, answer to their prayer that they've been praying, Lord, send workers in the harvest. Maybe it's you when you meet somebody. Pray that God will give you a divine appointment. Secondly, ask God to nudge you, make you aware, help you to know when that divine appointment approaches you. Thirdly, third way to pray is to ask God to take away all fear, because where's the fear coming from? It's not from him, right? right? To take away all the fear and to give you the exact, specific, unique words to speak when you, are, when, you, when you come in contact with that divine appointment. Now, if God answers prayer number one and gives you a divine appointment, and if God makes you aware and answers prayer number two, let me help you, he can answer prayer number three as well. Too many times we go through this life with, with here's, here's what Christianity, American Christianity does is, we, we go to experience our faith inside of four walls and we never let it go outside of here. And as long as it's in here, it's pretty safe and the enemy might even be okay with it. He'll disrupt us sometimes, but he's probably pretty much okay with us being in here, not being out there. And we go and we, we work through our life thinking, well, I don't know how to share. I don't know how to, I was at the orchard last, uh, year before last, I guess. COVID is like I lost 10 years of my life. I don't know what happened. Anybody with me? So maybe it's a couple years ago. I was at the apple orchard and with our granddaughters and they were just going up on the apple tree and they just picking an apple off. So simple. No, listen, they didn't get a degree in applery. Would you like it? You don't know if it's right or not. You just like, right? They didn't get an education in how to harvest apples. They don't even know. I don't think they even know that if you plant that, the trees are going to grow. I don't think they know. Their vocabulary has all been made up out of, they see it, okay, that's a bottle. And so they learn, they don't know how to do sentence structure. They don't know how to do, how to spell. They pretend read. When they open a book and read to the story, they're just pretending. They can't really read. They're only two and five. But they could go up and get the apples. You don't have to know a whole lot of stuff to go to somebody and allow God to use you with a compassionate move. And sometimes I think we view this thing, we're afraid, and I don't know why we're afraid. I like to think about it like this. People without Jesus, it's like they're driving a 72 Ford Pinto. You know, the kind that if you hit in the back end, it explodes. And a moment, in any moment in time, there's going to be impact in their life with something, and it's like their life is going to be destroyed. And you've got Jesus, the Bentley, right, the Bugatti, the Lamborghini, the Tesla, and you're afraid to share that with somebody that's driving the 72 Ford Pinto. What is mixed up and wrong with us that we get so timid and afraid you say, but Pastor, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's okay. You're just talking to people. You will recommend a bad restaurant to somebody, but you can't tell them about Jesus. You can stand next to somebody day in, day out, in a desk next to them in an office, and they're on their way to hell, and you kind of just do your job and never say a word to them. I mean, I'm not trying to kick you too hard. I'm just saying we gotta have we gotta have a compassion that sees. 
and a compassion that does and a compassion that prays and puts ourselves into the mix of the prayer that maybe you are the answer to the prayer that some wife has been praying for her husband for 15 years to come to Jesus and he's put you there and you're just silenced by the enemy. And so we're just praying and thinking, God, how, how, can, how can I help people um, with this? And uh, had a little bit of an idea that might help you that I think is from the Lord. And you can choose to participate or not participate. Um, for some of you, it's going to be a step. It's, it's coming up with that person in your life right now. Not five people, not 20 people, the one person. Now, when I say that, if you can't come up with one person that needs Jesus in your life, you need to go meet some people because there's a whole lot of them out there. Jesus wasn't lying when he said the, the harvest is plentiful. There's a whole lot of people that need Jesus. And so, so I want that person to be represented by this. And that's not a cigarette. That's a piece of chalk. We're not going to smoke them out, right? It's a piece of chalk. It's a piece of chalk. And this piece of chalk... I want you to do a couple things with it. We got plenty of them up here, some on the way out. In a moment, I'll give you a chance, opportunity to come and get this. Here's what I know. When you set a goal, you are nine, here, check, watch this, 92% of people that set a goal never achieve it. That's almost everybody. Oh, everybody's setting goals. I'm going to lose these pounds. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to read the Bible. Some of you said, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day at the first of the year, and you still haven't picked it. You picked it up two days, and you, like, checked out. <laughs> bless you, and bless all you. that You can, you can come back from this, okay? So, so, so I'm just saying this, 92% don't. You're 42% more likely to achieve a goal that you set if you do something right away and if you write it down. So my challenge to us today is to take a piece of chalk, and we've got some chalkboards out there in the lobby, and to write down the name of the person in your life. And maybe you don't even know it this week. You can do it next week. I'd encourage you to do it this week. Right? Who is that person? Is it, is, is it Jack? Write down Jack's name. You don't put the whole name. You can. It's up to you. Jack, we don't want to come in next Sunday and they see their whole name on the board and wonder what's going on, right? right? Write the name down. We're going to pray over them next Saturday and Saturday morning, pray over every, every name will be called out. But write down the name because that's the starting point, that you've written it down. Now, you, now that person, not a thing, that person is your goal to be moved with compassion over their life. And this piece of chalk will be the thing you take home and set it in a place, put it in a place where you see it every day, and let that be the thing that reminds you, I need to pray for the Lord of the harvest, descending workers of the harvest for Joe. God, use me. Pray those three prayers I told you. Help me, help me today, God, bring a divine appointment in my life. Nudge me. Make me aware of the divine appointment. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give me, Lord, the words to, to see. Take away all fear so that I can be used by you with this appointment that you've made for me. I believe this. There's a whole lot of people that need Jesus, and this is an opportunity for us to do something. And guess what I know? God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Right, this, this isn't just some exercise we're foolishly going through. No, God answers prayer. And, and on, your, on your seats, there's probably a, a card. Maybe you've already picked it up. Maybe, maybe that's a do. Right, I could give you five cards and give you a strategy. It's easy to do. I can come up with that all day long. Right? 
ways that, ways that we can do it. Maybe, maybe it's to take a card. Don't make it all plastic and make it all weird. I mean, go to somebody and say, this, this, what this is, is this is an icebreaker. I want to start a conversation with you. You don't have to say it that way. Hey, everybody goes to church at Easter. Didn't know if you had any plans. Invite you to go with, with me to church on Easter. Come over and we'll have a leg of lamb fixed. Or we'll go to whatever restaurant. My treat. Invite them. Invite them. Right? But let this be a conversation because what will happen is they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Presbyterian, and we never go to any other churches. And you're like, oh, okay. We have a lot of Presbyterians that come here, right, or whatever it is. I don't want to insult your background or somebody's background. But some people, they've culturally been trained that that's who they are. Their great-great-grandparent went to that church, and they've been that way, and they only go at funerals and Christmas sometimes, right? And so you, you just step into their world. You step into their world, and you say, let's have a conversation about faith. Maybe that's the do. Maybe that's a step of doing. I believe as you pray, God's going to open and unveil your mind. They're going to come right now. It's going to open and reveal to you the things that God will use you to do in their life. To be moved with compassion. Make it your prayer. Lord, don't let me have dry eyes as I look at this world. Don't let me be okay with people plummeting into eternity without you. Make me the doing. Make me the doing.